Ladies and gentlemen, you wanted it, you got it. The place for the untold, real, raw, and juicy stories of dirt track racing, it's Dirt Track Confessions. And now here's your host, Mandy Pouch-Mahaney. Hello everyone and welcome to Dirt Track Confessions. I'm your host, Mandy Pouch-Mahaney, and today we have my husband, Mike Mahaney, here with us, and we have the Dave Ely. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks for, you know, joining us. Yeah, no, oh. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, I never have been to the Pouch Compound, so it's mm-hmm. really cool to see everything that the whole family has, you know, developed over the years. I It was an honor to race against Bill Sr., and I, I raced a little bit against Billy Jr., not a whole heck of a lot. Um, and I certainly listened to Roy tell plenty of stories and tell me what I was doing wrong. So, um, you know, it's, it's really good to be here and, and, uh, really a sight to see. Well, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. I, I've actually said that in our podcast is I, I really liked having it set up here cause I feel it's just the whole vibe being in a trophy room. Oh yeah. 100%. I mean, it, it definitely is, is a special place, you know? I mean, uh, like I said, your family's put a lot of time in, in the sport and, um, it's nice to see all those rewards right around you and, and uh, you know, be able to really appreciate that the time and the effort that was put in came with something at the end, so. You can actually see it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Dave, we discussed before we came on here live, um, even though your wife says otherwise, we think you have a lot, of, you have a lot of value to you, okay? <laughs> I guess and it depends. It depends, depends on, on the day. Jen likes to call asking. it useless knowledge. Useless yes. knowledge. Some useless knowledge. This is true. But I, I would I would say it's very useful to the right people. Exactly. And so could you shine a little light for people that don't know Dave, you know, a little bit on your background, where you're at now? Yeah. So um, I'm a lifer. You know, I'm 45 years old and have spent my entire life in the sport. I don't know any better. Uh both sides of my family uh, were racers. My mother and father met at the Reading Fairgrounds. So my uh, paternal grandfather uh, was the same name as me, David Ely. And he ran like uh, Dorney Park and Hatfield and those type of places back in the 60s. He ended up uh, getting ill and passing away at a young age. He died at 28. So he didn't have a long career in racing, but it certainly planted a seed in um, the, his three boys and to this day, they're all involved in motorsports, and two of the three actually, um, you know, earn their earn their living through the sport. Um, on my mother's side, uh, my grandfather was Don Crite Sr., and uh, he grew up, you know, racing midgets and sprint cars, and then eventually went into the dirt modified ranks, and was probably known not just for running and driving the cars, but he started a speed shop with Kenny Brightbill, Brightbill and Kreitz, and they built the Kreitz Racing chassis in the 70s and 80s for Dirt Modifieds. And then my uncle races, uh, Don Kreitz, well, raced Don Kreitz Jr. He retired the same year I did, 2015. I started racing sprint cars in 1994, uh, raced them through the end of the 2015 season. And uh, now I still go to the races with my son. He races Nash. Uh, he runs a 358 at Williams Grove in Lincoln. And uh, I am involved in the sport as well from the side of uh, the manufacturing. Uh, the family business with my wife's family is Bulldog Quick Change Rears and DMI Racing Components. So, again, you know, my family, I've got basically my mom, my dad, me, my wife. My son works at Hyper Racing. 
Uh, my uncle Don Kreitz Jr. is partners with my mom at Kreitz Oval Track Parts. Um, my dad's brother, my dad is a fabricator in the racing industry. His brother is the head of a truck team down in the Carolinas. So, I mean, really out of, you know, 10 of us, there's probably eight of us in the family that are, that are making our living out of racing. So yeah. I, I liked the term lifer. Yeah. It, it I don't seems... know if it's good or bad. <laughs> I, I always say ra- racing's kind of like the mob. You don't get out alive. So, yeah, so you know, you'll, you may gravitate away from it at some point, but it always draws you back in if you're a lifer. You, you just don't know any better. And um, there are lots of people who race, and then there are racers. And I'd like to think of myself as a racer. Uh, and I feel like racer is someone that gets to the racetrack. You know, I mean, it because you have to. Uh, there's not much that will stand in the way of you making that happen. Bobby Allen would be a, a racer, you know. I mean, it didn't matter if they had no money. It didn't matter if the truck was broke down. It didn't matter some way, shape, or form. I got to be there by 7 o'clock tonight because that's when I get my paycheck. And they figure out how to make it happen. And, and I think that that's something that I've tried to carry over, you know. I, I try to teach my kids and that sort of thing that – you got to make you got to make it happen. If you want to make it happen, you got to make it happen. In my case, it's in racing, and uh, I think that's what a racer is. Treat it like a business. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny because I have so many questions that I want to ask you to bring this to everyone, um, but for some reason, because Jen's sitting back there watching, or if she's even listening right now, <laughs> is because obviously, like I've in our family, in his family. Um, like the significant others are very, sorry, Jen, we're, we're throwing you under the bus right now, <laughs> but are very involved in racing. But yep. how, like with, with Jen, it's, it's her family's business. You're into it, but she's really not into racing. So how do you find that balance? Um, she's a great go along with it, with whatever I do type of girl, you know, I mean, I'm just really fortunate in that, in that regard. So we have four kids, Jennifer and I, three of them lived with us full time. Uh, growing up, there's one left at home yet, 15 years years old. Our, our daughter, the only daughter we have, or the only child we have together, um, the rest of all moved on and are either married or, or with someone or living on their own. So um, I guess the balance comes from that it's just life. You don't have a choice, right? So mm-hmm. while I was getting to go play and and do what I wanted to do, I was lucky that Jennifer was there too handle the kids, get them to a basketball practice or get them to a soccer practice or, you know, whatever was going on at the time. And, and it was very important to me to be a part of that as well. I just couldn't do it every day. But, you know, I mean, absolutely. If there was the opportunity for me to be there, I, I wanted to be there. Um, while Jennifer might not be the biggest race fan she was always a fan of no matter how crazy the week was, particularly when I raced and we had a toter home and things of that nature, Saturday at 3 o'clock the truck left and it was probably Jennifer and me and at least two of the kids, maybe more, in the truck. And, and while that toter home may have been a shed that you were a prisoner to during the night for her with the kids, that might have been the only two hours that all five of us, you know, got to be together that yeah. week or, or whatever. So... Um, like I said, it's like everything else you really, no matter what, um, and and, you know, Jennifer and I have this talk all the time. There's, there's probably times she wishes she was more 
I don't want to say of a race fan because it's not that she doesn't enjoy the race and it's not that she doesn't enjoy the race and people, but she hasn't been around it enough because she's not a lifer mm-hmm. to know the people on a first name basis and that sort of thing. So a lot of times maybe when I have a story to tell or something like that, I take it for granted and I'm talking about, you know, Joe or Max or Zach or whoever. And she's like, I have no idea who you're talking about, you know, and now she's got to try to connect the dots and that sort of thing. But you got to try to support each other. There's things that, that Jen's into that I'm not really that into. And you try to just kind of support each other and do what it takes. So I, I do notice that I, if you talk to Dave on a regular basis, uh, he talks about uh, the greats and the, the lifers of yeah. this sport, but on a first name basis, never mentions their last name. <laughs> yeah. He always just says, you know, uh, Craig. Yeah, you know, and it's everyone like, knows who Craig yeah. is. <laughs> Which Craig? <laughs> there's only one Craig. You know, CBT. All, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there, it, it's always that you know, if you're if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. It, you know, as you get older, you obviously start to absorb more. I think you know, when you're young, you don't absorb a lot. You just kind of do. Mm-hmm. Um, the older you get, you start to absorb. And even if it's someone maybe I don't talk to today or maybe it's even someone that's passed away or whatever, but I can look back and I can really glean something from everyone, you know, and I feel so fortunate that, for instance, for me, I grew up a Doug Wolf gang fan. First sprint car race I can remember going to was at Bridgeport, New Jersey. It was a World of Outlaw race and Doug Wolf gang was driving the Howells, Doug and Joanne Howells number four car. For whatever reason, I just did that. I liked that car. And eventually I became a huge Doug Wolfgang fan. At that time, back in the early 80s, there was fan clubs and things of that nature. I was a member of the Doug Wolfgang fan club and, and would anxiously get my newsletter every month and maybe whatever the gift was, a set of playing cards or a button or whatever. And then when he came east to race in the 1984 for Weikert, and he was here for 84, 5, 6, 7, I got to see him every night. So this is the useless knowledge. Just talking useless about knowledge. So, <laughs> but I saw him every night, like in 85, he won 18 in a row. I saw probably 15 of those 18. Yeah. And that was really cool to see. But again, because my family was racing, I got to see him. I got to know him a little bit. And then in 1989, when he was having a great year, um, he won 43 of 86 races and, and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I was on the road for a lot of that year, even though I was just a little kid. My dad and Donald uh, were trying to run the World Outlaw Series by themselves. So as soon as school left out, the day after school left out, I went on the road, and I was there till basically it was time to go back to school. So I went through the Dakotas and Nebraska and Iowa and all that stuff, racing with the Outlaws, and again, he would have been there doing that. And, and it just kept going and going and going. To eventually, at some point, I had Wolfgang cars. You know, he built them for me. But it's really great to have idols or mentors or people to look up mm-hmm. to. And it's really great when you're able to actually have a relationship with them. Absolutely. And I was very, very fortunate to get that, just using Doug as an example. Um, but the same thing from from a, a bunch of different people, whether it be Lee Osborne or today, me and Bobby Allen are very close, or Sammy Swindell, or or your pop, for that matter. You know, I mean, your dad, I remember when I first started sprint car racing, we were at Williams Grove one day, 
and we're all out kind of in turn three and four, and your dad's sitting on the guardrail smoking a cigarette, kind of like he always did, right? And I'm there looking at the racetrack, and and I was, you know, pretty wet behind the ears. I only had raced for three or four years, probably probably three years at that time, and and uh, he said something to me about how's it gone, and I said, you know, it's gone, I guess, right? I'm not not knocking the world on fire or nothing like that. And, and he said encouraging things about the difficulty of sprint car racing compared to a lot of the other things he had done. You know, he said, Dave, I've raced everything. He's like, you're doing the toughest thing. So, you know, just something like that might have been a shot in the arm to get me to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I try to carry that over to this day. Um, if I see someone that I think's maybe been down and they win a race or something like that, I'm always one to kind of, Make sure I shoot a text or something. Yeah, I feel that's that's one of the many perks of being in Davey Lee's like inner circle here, because you know you deal with so many people, and you you've not showing your age. You know, we all age gracefully, <laughs> <laughs> but you deal with so many different people, and that kind of touches into the manufacturer side, because not many people have also raced and are now on the other side. Yeah, you know, it, it's really crazy, not just on the manufacturer side, but even when you don't race. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any better saying than you can't see the forest through the trees and, and when you're racing. You just don't see things. Me and Fred Raymer just had this discussion this summer. I said to him, I said, you know, if I had to do it over and I was still racing, I think I would have taken a year off and just watched. Like, just watched. Because when you watch and you see different things, you could come back so much stronger. Um, You would really, I think, be able to sort through more of the, of the filler, so to speak. Um, I've, again, in all the great racers that I talk to, and I'm very fortunate to do that, you can sense traits that they all carry. And what I see or sense that they all carry is that they are, in many cases, they're pretty similar. They might not have the best maintenance programs. They might not be the most organized, um, but they know what matters, mm-hmm. and they don't spend any time on filler. They only focus on the things that matter, and they make sure that stuff's right, and I think that's one thing that I probably learned. You know, I was a very detail-oriented racer, and I worked on all my own stuff. That's how my father taught me, you know, from building wings to – you know, the fabrication side a little bit. He did most of that, but I did some of it. Motor stuff, there's not much I can't do. I've done mostly my own stuff if I had to, that sort of thing. Um, But I think I spent so much time focusing on a lot of things that didn't matter, Mm -hmm. and it probably hurt my racing. Um, I, I always used to say, everyone says racers are one at the shop. I don't believe that. I used to. Yeah. But if races were won at the shop, I never would have lost because I don't, I can't, I can't imagine that someone could have outworked me. But I absolutely think races are won at the sh- at the ra- at the races. You know, I mean, you got to make the right decisions when you're there, and you got to read the track right. You got to know your competitors. You got to know their weaknesses. You got to know how to capitalize on that, and you have to be fresh. I mean, that's another thing. I I think sometimes you get working on your stuff so much that by the time you're so focused about having your race car prepared and right that you forget you have to be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't be tired. You know, you got to be f- free of 
of outside thoughts kind of. I mean, it's a pretty selfish thing that you have to do when you drive a race car. So uh, I think that's some of what I learned on both sides of it, from the driving side to, to being involved in the sport to now being on the manufacturer's side and getting to talk to all these different, you know, successful racers. Did, did you – did that stand out a lot when you, you know, had the difference of, like, showing up with your helmet bag versus working on your car? And preparing it to bring it because I mean when you, you know, when you bring that car it, yourself, it's hard not to make that the main focus because it's just so much work. But then once you, I mean when you when you get there, you need to focus on driving. But yes, if the car doesn't run, then you know you're you're I out think, of luck. I think it's a family thing. You know, my my uncle did not drive for other people. He just didn't. Um, he was successful racing his sixty nine k, doing things his way. Um, I don't want to say I wasn't successful driving for other people because, I mean, literally my last almost 20 years of my career, I drove for the same car owner. So I was, but it also was, was viewed as my car. My car owner took this, the approach that it was my operation. You do whatever you want. And he just paid the bills. So I didn't drive. I didn't show up a lot of times with my helmet bag. Um, I did when I drove the five. And I would say from the side of not having to do the weekly maintenance, that was fine. Uh, but as soon as I got to the racetrack, I took over, you know, I mean, it, and, and they had a good guy there, Todd Rittenhouse. He maintained things. Again, he stepped aside, left me do what I wanted to do. Or if I told him to do something, I knew it was getting done right. That sort of thing. But I called all the shots. I, you know, uh, from the setup side and, and that sort of thing. So I had opportunities to do plenty of different things and, and put myself in that situation but I just never could leave the comfort of of basically making my own decisions. You know, um, I had a couple in the late 90s, uh, Jack from J&J. I was on J&J Cars, and he was trying to put an outlaw team together, and it was going to be backed by Chevrolet. And he had tapped me to probably be the driver of that. And then it kind of fizzled. Um, Dave Blaney had called uh, – a couple times for me to go run for him right after like Kevin Gobrek was killed, that sort of thing. It just didn't appeal to me like having my own, my own car. Mm -hmm. um, app, the Apple 12 was probably as close as it got. They tried to hire me to replace Hodnett um, in 2000. And I, I probably was going to commit and do it. And, uh, the day after we had the meeting, I said, you know, give me the weekend. I got to race this weekend. I think I had a meeting on a Friday night with him. It was early in the year. And we were racing Lincoln on a Saturday night, Williams Grove on a Sunday afternoon. And I had the meeting with him Friday night. So I'll get back with you. Thought about it Saturday and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll probably do that deal. And uh, that night with uh, a lap to go, I passed Framer to win at Lincoln. And... In victory lane, Lee Stauffer, who's a good friend of mine now, who was the mechanic of the Apple car, come over to me, and he put his arm around me, and he goes, just stay where you're at. He said, you've got a good program that you've built up. He said, the only thing I can do is screw you up. So, <laughs> um, like I said, I, I, I don't – I think some of that's personality and trait, you know. Um, there are great guys that can carry a helmet bag. You know, I mean, Keith Kaufman could just – carry a helmet bag you know obviously Kyle Larson has no problem just carrying a helmet bag uh but I think some people have to 
and I, I will say, I think those guys are probably better racers because they don't outthink themselves as much. Um, but I think some people have to have their, their thumb on top of things a little bit. And I would probably put myself in that category, and I would probably put myself in that category of being too, uh, I don't want to say too detail-oriented, but thinking things have to be too perfect maybe sometimes. So naturally, you know, having that that orientation, you would look at all the things you would have to go through if you were going to switch teams and yeah. have to – start from square one and, and build that all up again. Absolutely. I mean, just trailers. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Per, I think I do a great job organizing trailers, but I'm also about done organizing trailers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, you've done it so many times and you and you buy something, you know, in many cases, like my trailer that I have now is a 1989 gold rush. It'll go up and down the road longer than I'm wanting to go up and down the road. It's a, it's a sound trailer and, and it's here for the long haul. But when we finished that one, um, my dad and I both said, because he, he came from, he actually at one point worked for Gold Rush and stuff. Again, my dad's a very talented fabricator. So doing a trailer with him is, is really, really a good deal. Um, but when we got done with that one, it's like, you know what? I think our doing trailer days are kind of numbered and that sort of thing. And, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you build everything up. You build up the help. You build up your sponsors. I'm very proud. The sp sponsors that I had on my car still help my kid. I've got 20, 25, 30-year associations with people. Um, it's hard to turn your back on that. I mean, it, ultimately, it's the same thing as what's going on here. It's a family operation. And and good, bad, or indifferent, Roy and Billy had their slugfest. My pop and I have had ours. It is what it is, Mike. I'm sure you and Jim have had yeah. yours. It still is probably the most special part of the racing. Um, you know, you can look back and, and think about the things you did get to do together uh, and the times maybe when you weren't getting along and you figured it out, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, the family side of it is is a big part of it. And, and when I say family, it, I'm, again, I'm back to I've worked with this chassis manufacturer, this shock manufacturer, these crew guys. They all become like family. It, it, yeah. It, yeah, they really do. So it is hard to turn your back and say, I'm going to go over here, or now I'm going to go over there. Again, personality-wise, you know, for me, it's hard for me to do that. Other people, it's not. You know, they just look and go, you know what, better opportunity there. Hopefully, well, if I need it, this will be here when I need it, maybe. Maybe it won't. I'll worry about it then. That's not me. But speaking of that family, they, uh, you know, you talked about you have your group of sponsors your car owner mm -hmm. uh, your family your crew <laughs> um, all of these people kind of working together and everybody has similar goals you know you all oh, want to win but talk about like all the decisions that come up that I mean you <laughs> which track are we going to tonight for example I'm, I mean you know like I guess and I think this probably carries over in business, and I'm hoping my wife Jennifer would agree. I guess one of my strong suits, I th I'm not a planner, so she does she does get very upset with me for not planning, but I am a decision maker. Um, so whether everyone, for the most part, always just bows down and lets me have my way or whatever, I, I guess I've just 
I do feel like most of my life I've been the one making the decisions and everyone else has just gone along with it. So again, I just consider myself very fortunate. But again, I think some people have confidence in that because I make decisions. Um, It's probably my number one pet peeve at, at the business is, is not, is people not making decisions. I'm like, make a decision right or wrong. Make a decision. Just let's move on with it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I would be the one to say, hey, we're going to go here. Or There's a race here I'd like to go to. This is paying good. I think we should go, you know. Right now, for me, most of my decisions are based on where I think my son can get his best experience. Not that he has any desire to be a professional racer. We have any of the weather all to make that happen anyway. But you still got to be as good as you can possibly be. And there are places I think you can go that you learn more than other places. And that's what dictates what we do now. So if I made the decision tomorrow that I think we need to go to this racetrack that maybe to a lot of people wouldn't make a lot of sense, there's something in my mind driving me to make that decision to say, you know what, I think this will make Nash a better racer or I think this will make our team a better team. And maybe it might just be something as simple as I'm going to go run a race in Florida because I have, you know, a sponsor from Florida that I want them to be able to see the car. It might be something as simple as that. But I do try to make my decisions based on the best information I have at the time. And you get some you right, f- you get some wrong. And so you don't find a lot of people, you know, how come, you, how come you're not going here? How come you're no. not doing this? How come you don't come out of your office? I just, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, again, I, I, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> and again, I guess it's probably, I think, so the guy that I drove for the last, basically 20 years, who still helps on our race car, actually had worked with with Mandy's father years back in the 80s on a modified, Gene Frankoviak. And Gene went through countless drivers before me. I mean, he was a driver of the week club. And I was one to not race for anyone, okay? So we're at the first we're at the first PRI show that me and him are going to be a team at, and we're sitting at a bar having a couple drinks, and a guy comes over to us, who I, to this day I don't even know who it was, and he looks and he goes, "You two are going to be together next year." Yeah, <laughs> that won't make it until May. <laughs> Turn around, walked away. Oh, okay, Uh-oh. whatever. You know, <laughs> twenty years later. Yeah. So sometimes you just figure out how to work around people. And I guess for me, people have figured out how to work around me mm-hmm. and I try to figure out how to work around them. So maybe Gene was just waiting to find a guy that took care of the racing operation. He was. You know, he had drivers that came and go, went. Yeah, 100%. That weren't doing that. <laughs> the first meeting I had with him, he sat down, he goes, um, I have my team in shambles. I don't have the time to, to, to do anything with it. Uh, you just tell me when we're leaving, where we're going, and I'll try to go to races. And he did that for a while, and honestly, at the end when I raced, he was maybe a 50-50-er, you know, at that point, streaming just, well, actually, no, I wasn't even streaming yet at that point, but he was a guy uh, and is a guy that that's just happy making someone else happy. So he recognizes that we work hard, and we rec- he recognizes that we treat, you know, would treat his money like it was ours and that sort of thing. And he was more than happy to just kind of stay in the background and let me run the show. So worked out for me, and it's worked out okay for him. I feel that um, your personality 
and everything that you've collected over the years definitely helps you with the family business. I mean, I would like to think so. Um, well, I feel like for anyone that runs a bulldog rear end or uses any DMI products, like they can literally call you and you're going to give them a real answer. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I respect you, that. You know. Whether you want it or not. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best and I haven't, you haven't had to beat me out yet, nope. so I'm doing good. <laughs> However, uh, yes, do not ask a question of me if you don't want the honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, if, and I just had this conversation, Rich Eichelberger just came through our shop the other day. He owns Freddie Raymer's car. And I said to Rich, I said, if you're a race driver, if you're a mechanic, if you're an owner, if you're an engine builder, a chassis builder, a manufacturer, if you're involved in motorsports, you better have thick skin. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah. just the way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, you're going to meet people that like you. You're going to meet people that don't like you. It's just like in real life. You're going to meet people that you like, and you're going to meet people that you don't like. So you got to all figure out kind of how to get along. That's part of the problem with the world now is <laughs> everyone doesn't want to yeah. get along with the people that don't agree with them. Yep. But you got to all kind of figure out how to get along, and you got to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, if a customer calls me up and asks a question, they know they're getting a straight answer. It might not be what they want to hear. It, it might not. Maybe it is what they want to hear. Um, it might not be the, th- the answer they thought they were going to get mm-hmm. or whatever. But whether it's, is this product going to improve my performance? You know, if, if I've watched a guy uh, Saturday night at the races run around in 13th and he's running through the middle part of the racetrack and he calls me up on on Monday morning and says, I think I need a polished ring and pinion. That's why I ran 13th. I'm going to say to him, no, you ran 13th because you were in the worst part of the racetrack. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not your problem. Yeah. <laughs> what you need to do is whatever money you were going to give me for that polished ring and pinion, go run another race that you weren't planning to race because you need laps. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and I don't say that to be critical or to be a know-it-all or any of that stuff. I say that because I want my customers to have their best chance of success. Yeah. It does me no good to sell you something that you're not, A, either going to be happy with mm-hmm. or... It's not going to make you faster. It ain't going to make you faster, and you're not going to have confidence the next time when you need to buy something to call me and ask yeah. me the question. So when a person calls, I be as, I'm as honest as can be with them. I'll, I'll let them, you know, make their final decision, and, and we'll do whatever we want to do. And, and I get phone calls, you know, I mean, from uh, all, again... I'm very, very fortunate, all different aspects. I've got track promoters calling me. I got sanctioning bodies calling me. I've got Dave Line One. <laughs> race teams <laughs> calling me. Jen's over there rolling her eyes. <laughs> uh, you know, teams calling me, drivers calling me. The amount of, you know, probably teams and drivers I've put together over the years is that no one knows about. Yep. Um it w- would make a head spin. But I, again, I, I I think anyway that I got myself in that position, good or bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to be there most times, but I guess I got myself in that position because people know that they're going to get a straight answer out yep. of me, and they must value that I'm going to make some you know decent decisions and and have good judges of character and things of that nature. So you get a, f- a few. You have to get a few uh, customers every. 
there's a lot of businesses that sell magic. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, they call you up looking for that. And I, I constantly What's he running? Uh, yeah. see you shutting that down. Like constantly every not, day, it's not magic. every third phone call. <laughs> I, my, my number one saying probably is magic is magic. <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, it's a sleight of hand. It's an illusion. It's, it's whatever, but it doesn't exist. And racers want to believe it exists. Mm-hmm. They, they want to figure out I'm running 15th, but I'm going to put a degree in a, a degree more camber in my right front and I'm going to win. No, you're not. <laughs> it's just not. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, but there's a whole lot of things you do. Now, when you become that guy that is contesting for the win night after night after night and you're running the top two and you're running the top three and you're running the top four, that's when the details do start to show their their head. You know, I mean, uh, you're you're trying to tune in your camber maybe a little bit or you're you're pulling your, your front axle back or, you know, you're doing this or you're doing that. But, I mean, it just people want to believe I'm running here. If I buy this, it's going to be a light switch. And it's just not. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, we're very fortunate at DMI on the torsion bar side, you know, on the sprint cars. We've got, at this point, a tremendous amount of the sprint car torsion bar market. And so I know Roughly, I mean, you can tell when people order what they're getting, right? So if if this guy's winning a lot of races and, and, you know, three times a year he's calling up and ordering the same four torsion bars, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to to piece it together, right? You know what he's doing. And I have people constantly buying, you know, 20, 25 different torsion bars. And and in sprint car racing right now, you literally can put a, a 1025 in the right front and three inches everywhere else and I'm not saying that you're gonna be the guy winning every night or whatever I mean the car is gonna go around it's gonna make left hand turns it's gonna do what it has to do <laughs> like it's gonna get you in the hunt and you can win probably 80 percent of the races right now or one with a 1025 in the right front and three inches yet I've got people thinking you know calling up how many guys are buying 925s uh well, I guess if I take the order from you I don't know one <laughs> other than that none really. None. Would you tell me? No, I'm going to lie to you. Yeah. I, no, no one's buying them. You're, you're, you're going up the wrong road. Just stick to basics. I was, I was going to say, that kind of reminds me of like um, doctor-patient confidentiality. You know, oh, yeah. that's, that's, there's got to be a fine line with being in your shoes because you, prob- like you have a lot of drivers. Like you said, you know mm-hmm. what they're getting. You know what they're using. But you want all of your your do we call them clients? Well, it, like we you want them it, all to succeed. Absolutely. But where's the fine line? And again, it that goes that becomes a broader picture for me. Um, there is a lot of confidentiality there, and again, that's I think what gets me to have the meetings with the promoters and the meetings with the sanctioning bodies or things of that nature because you know. They're all working together, but trying to outdo the other, right? Yeah. So every racer is trying to beat the other racer. Every track is really trying to beat the other track. Like, they can say they don't know. A promoter doesn't know about this track or about that track. Promoters know. Mm-hmm. They know to a, to a T. You know, I mean, if, if Bridgeport's crowd went up 300 people on average this, week or this year, then New Egypt knows it. Grandview knows it. 
Lincoln knows it. Port Royal knows. They all oh. know. They all okay. they all talk. They all hate each other, but yet they all talk, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the and same thing on the sanctioning body side and so forth. So people have to know if they're having those conversations with you that yes, you're not going to run off and and you know spout it off to this person or tell this person, hey, you know what's going on over here, that sort of thing. Um, you know, when I was younger, I, like most people, I probably got myself in trouble a couple times. Maybe someone tells you something and you say something else, you take it as that it was, tr- you know, to be fact and then it wasn't and you hurt someone's feelings or something like that. But again, you get older and you realize if someone's calling you up or and ordering parts from you, A, they're putting trust in you. If they're calling you up to ask a question about, you know, when they when you think they should come uh, to your area to race this year as a sanctioning body. They have trust in you. So it's just a trust issue, and it goes back to being honest. So, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly we're plenty confidential. And I, I try on the rears, for instance, I do in my catalog, you know, but I'll try to talk to the racer first. Like I'll say to Keith Coons, hey, do you mind if I put on the baby bulldog midget page in my catalog, you can order a rear Keith style. Okay, Keith style would be exactly the way Keith Coons Motorsports orders it. Yeah. Or, hey, will you, you know, I can do one Super Matt style or whatever, you know, for Matt Shepard. So, and those guys are usually good with it because they have enough confidence in their abilities mm-hmm. that they don't they don't mind other people knowing what's going on. Makes sense. And and there's a difference between like knowing what size torsion bars someone's running and getting the correct style rear end so that it functions properly in your car. One hundred percent. But I will tell you, and this goes back to probably one of the very first questions that we began the podcast with, my experience as a racer, and one of the reasons why I'm so helpful to people is that good racers help each other. Um, and they do that because they have confidence in themselves. Your father sold Pouch Olsen cars mm-hmm. because he was going to kick their ass anyway. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. why I did it. Yeah. And then when you do it with the same thing they have, mm-hmm. now you really got them oh, beat. Yeah. So that's, you know, and the other thing is I looked at it. If I could help a guy, I didn't have to race with him as much. You know what I mean? Like if I don't know where he's gone because he don't know where he's gone, now it's going to take me a lap or two more to get past that guy. I don't have a lap or two. I'm starting, you know, a lot of people know me from when I ran 360s or if I ran 410s in, uh, you know, central Pennsylvania. In 2000, when I'm point leader at Williams Grove, I'm coming out of probably row five in a heat race, handicapping four. If I'm lucky and I get to the handicap spot, that starts me 12th as the point leader or top money earner is how they did it as the top money earner in a 25-lap race that probably had, you know, me 12th, Raymer 11th, DeWeese 10th, Kaufman 9th, Schaefer 8th, Kreitz 7th. Skippy Jackson maybe in there, your dad in there, yeah. right? I mean, that was the that was the eleven I had in front mm-hmm. of me. So no, I didn't have to worry about getting through those guys <laughs> by any means. But there might have been one or two guys in there that made the handicap that week that that maybe quote didn't belong there or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those were the guys that dictated who won the race because yeah. if Fred figured out his way past those guys before the rest of us and beat us to the front, we were all cooked, right? Yeah. So if your dad did it, you know, he won. If Donald did it, he won. So if you try to help people and you get them that they're straight, it makes it easier for you to pass them. There's less chance of them crashing you. 
And if you have enough confidence in your ability, you're going to beat them anyway. And then here's the best part. They never believe what you're telling them anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've gone to the point of when I was, you know, very successfully racing and trying to help someone and opening up my setup book and saying, there it is. There's how I am tonight. Mm-hmm. And they'll look and go, well, that'll never work. <sighs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. And not even that it was something oddball or anything, mm-hmm. but in many cases it was just something basic. And again, back to the magic thing, people want to look and go, well, he can't be doing that. That's too basic. Yeah. But the most important tool is the driver. Mm-hmm. And if the driver walks in with his head high, confident and thinking that he's going to win, he's going to be really tough to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, Regardless of Regardless. touching on uh, the handicap yeah. versus a, uh, a time trial or some other format of qualifying. Uh, regardless of that stacked field in front of you, mm-hmm. um, what's, your, what's your opinion on that? Like, uh, would you, I loved you, it. I mean, I, I, I don't get it today. And this isn't a knock on, I mean, it's going to sound like a knock on racers, but I hear people a lot of times like, you know, well, I got to go race against, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Yeah. You're already, you're already losing. Okay. I I mean, I was an 18 year old kid and just went up against that field. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I know at some point I sent you guys, uh, uh, a results. I don't remember if I won or even just ran top five or whatever, but I'm like, when I look back at this of the 24 guys that were in it, 18 of them are in the Hall of Fame at this point. I mean, they're, they were good, good, good racers. Mm-hmm. And you're only as good as the people you race against. The You can't get better if you don't race against good guys. Mm-hmm. You'll, um, again, racing's one thing. My youngest daughter plays volleyball. I can see her team play to the level that they're playing against. If they're playing against a really good team, they will up themselves and they will compete. I'm not saying they're going to win, but they will compete. If they are playing against a really bad team that they should absolutely dust mm-hmm. and no contest, man, next thing you know, I'm I'm on the sidelines livid because they're losing yeah. and they, they should not be losing. You compete at the level that is around you. So... This is deep. Yeah. <laughs> we can get so, on a whole level with this. So for me, I'm I'm all about racing against the very mm-hmm. best guys. I it's what I live for. I couldn't agree more. I I mean I, you're welcome to ask more questions. I don't want to keep Dave too. I, I got one oh, that's, okay. been, right. that's been yeah, uh, in, on my good. brain the entire podcast and I kinda okay. wanna leave it for the end. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so you've briefly touched on your uh career and and where things have gone. Did, did you ever uh, imagine that you'd end up where you are at today? And, and <laughs> especially like 20 years ago or something. I, I mean. No. Um, again, you just don't know where the path takes you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the number one thing I probably tell people, no matter who it is. I mean, sometimes it's young guys, sometimes it's older guys. Everyone loses sight of maybe something that happened at the moment or what's going on when something happens now, you don't know what you really don't know what that means. So I use this as a prime example. It's probably the very worst one that there is to use. 
I've met my my wife through my ex-wife because my ex-wife was involved in motorsports. Mm-hmm. She moved up here. Uh, my parents and I had a little a little tiff over the whole situation. We kind of split up for a little bit. I went and did drive another car for a small amount of time. End up getting a job at DMI, Diversify Machine. At that time, they didn't have their own product line. They were producing parts um, for weld wheels and hyper racing. We get talking one day. Why don't we try to do the own pro- our own product line, DMI? They said, do you know people? Yeah, I know people. So then I go in. I start making phone calls. We become a company. I end up meeting my wife. You know, so not... We're just selling sprint car parts. We're not, or, you know, race car parts for the whole short track industry. We're not curing cancer or nothing like that. With all that being said, at some point, a decision a long time ago that I made, all of a sudden got all these dominoes falling Mm -hmm. to the point that now, if we look, we go, okay, well, DMI is, you know, a a world leader in, in the industry and that sort of thing. But it was just that one maybe decision that made all those dominoes fall. The world needed Dave. I don't think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that's it. But like I said, you always kind of have to just, as difficult as it is many, many times, and as difficult as it is to understand a lot of times, sometimes you just have to, you just got to let it play out. Mm-hmm. And... And then go from there, you know. And you and seem to believe that everything's just going to be okay. <laughs> my 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 car owner of twenty years just, just does despise that of yeah. me. Yes, uh, yeah. my my deal is it'll all work out. It, it has yeah. to. It's just it the way it is. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I get a lot of that from Bobby Allen. He's that way. I believe you put good positivity in the world. Good positivity comes back to you, and it'll Great just man. all work out. You I know? mean, it, it makes sense because. The opposite is nothing. The opposite is nothing, and it has to work out. Like, yeah. that's what I get to, you know. If it doesn't, if, you're, like, it's over. There's, it, you have no other choice. You have no yeah. other choice. So, it, you know, and again, this is then one of the reasons why my wife gets mad at me for not being a good planner. It's like, where we're going to I mean, where are we going to go eat tonight? Well, I don't know. I mean, we're not going to starve. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're not. Sometimes uh, I feel like Mandy we're, thinks we're going to starve. I might be on her bed. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you are, but. We're what? not going to starve. Yeah. I mean, mm. it's amazing how we your body can, can feel like it's the end we're of the world die. to miss <laughs> a meal. <laughs> I'm like, you know, <laughs> we're not going to die gonna go here. <laughs> yeah, we can go there. Yeah. Well, what about here? Yeah, we could go there too. I mean, yeah. it, you know, so yeah, I, I definitely 100%. I am that guy. It, like I said, I know it, it gets under Gene's skin terribly. Um, It'll all work out. It has to, you know, but it, choice. It, it makes yeah. you so you can make that split second decision right now. I, I think that some of it, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to be able to, I, I guess you just got to have confidence that when you do make a decision, it, like you, I just said, it'll work out. Yeah, I feel that choice. for, I mean, it's, it's almost destiny because every act, what's gotten you here has gotten you to where you are now. And every, yep. every, every move, go left or right, that's going to lead you to your next step. And, you know, especially, which maybe we can close on is, um, I feel for a lot of people in racing that want to race or, you know, are thinking about not racing, Mm -hmm. you know, you had essentially reasons why you could not race. Right. Yep. Um, So for a lot of people, that's scary is, well, what do I do when I don't race? And 
Oh. So there's ways, I mean, there's ways you can still stay involved in the sport and not be behind the wheel. And I know for you, and I see it in my dad too, it's, it's, it's an adjustment. It is. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, it does help. Little Billy race. It helps yes. that Nash race is yeah. for me. Now, you know, with Mike, I mean, and, and having really close friends at race, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I can race vicariously through Mike. So, yeah. uh, but it, it does, it's, it's definitely an adjustment, but there's a place for someone in everything. And I think back to on what you said with the, about every decision you make gets you to here. They weren't all right. You know what I mean? Every decision yeah. wasn't the right one. Some of them were the bad ones or they were the wrong ones, but eventually you, you, you figure out how to move on past that. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just kind of still, I get as much of a kick out of seeing my customers win as I do when I won. And, uh, I'm a competitive guy, so I like winning. <laughs> so you're in the right department. So for Dave, sure. um, I mean, I know it was a drive for you guys to get here. So if you guys enjoyed this, let us know, um, Give Dave a call, you know, because he's not busy or anything. Just call him <laughs> and tell him how much you love the podcast and how much we want to have you back on because no you can just – I can go on. You can no, share I, so much Every knowledge. time uh, we sit down to have dinner or something, we always have great conversations. We and, talk uh, forever, yeah. yeah. No, this was nice to – the more organized format. <laughs> yes, it was nice being nice and organized. <laughs> Unfortunately, like, we're like just that. drinking water We're today. just drinking water today. So, yeah, <laughs> stories get a little better when yeah, we're not. But Maybe later. Um, no, it, absolutely. You guys are, you know, great friends and, and really family to us. And anytime you ever need anything, you know I'm here. So, well, Thank you. Thank you for ha- coming on. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully yep. we'll, we'll do this again. And if anyone goes over to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, go visit Dave and his – I always say his – jail his (laughs) office is four white walls no windows so please go visit him that it is and i give tours (laughs) all the time and we have an open door policy so yes yes so thank you uh thank you everyone for listening i hope you enjoy this if you enjoyed it like it share it and um we'll catch you guys next week thanks again thanks dave